Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Joined as as usual after after a short break, whatever. But it's not a weekly podcast, I guess anymore, right? Uh, with uh, Neil Orfield of Stochastic. You hear him all the time during NFL season on all the shows over there. High stakes podcast. On the contrary. NFL tournament strategy show, the showdown stuff, the every the everything's going. We're almost at the end of the NFL season. Are you are you glad that it's over or you or you'd rather it be going on even longer? I think more the latter. Like I'm I'm going to miss NFL to be honest. I I've, I've, I'm going it'll be some relief when it's over just because I've been doing so much content like all the time, but you know, once NFL season's over, I don't I don't know what the plan is for me to be honest after NFL season ends. Uh, but I imagine I'll still be doing a good amount of content. So for the most part, I think I'm, I'm going to be a little bit sad when it's over because um, I do I really enjoy NFL season. But uh, yeah, it, it'll be some relief. How about you? I'm 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 welcome it to be over, right? I'm 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 NFL'd out. Uh, uh, I didn't play as many of the showdown contests that I normally play. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll get into to some stuff as far as our plans, DFS playing plans. For 2023, but to, to recap 2022, I did post up that, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but it'll be the eighth straight tax year in a row with, uh, with the, with the profit at least, right? Maybe not like I saw that. a ridiculous amount, but I mean, good enough for my lifestyle. Uh, didn't go as well for you. Did not go as well for me. Yeah. This is my first, first losing year in five or six years. Uh, and my first like big losing year you know i've my, my past losing years i wasn't playing high volume so a losing year was down like two thousand dollars this is the first time that i've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in a in a year uh so pretty brutal and, and we talked about it on the last episode it compounds with the taxes so like if you you know put add my last two years together i'm up significantly if you just look at like my roto tracker like mm -hmm. doing great crushing it uh but then when you factor in the taxes from the winning year versus you know that kind of offsets it so i'm essentially break even over the past two years when you factor in taxes, which uh, is kind of brutal. It's not not a fun thing to to be break even with the amount of effort that I put into it. Maybe I'm a little bit ahead even with the taxes in there, but uh, you know, not not as fun as it as not feeling as good as I was a year ago at this time coming off a really big 2021. Right. And these years are arbitrary. I wanna, you know, we always highlight yeah. the fact that they're just markers. So it's like it's not about, oh, you had a losing year. It's like, well what happens if you uh what happens if you made a million dollars tonight? Right. Yeah. Right. Like what happens if the year was 367 days long? Like, oh, then I would have winning year. So like, like you could take any one year, like out of all my years, you could take, you could shift like a month in one direction. And then in that 12 month period, I could be down for the, down for that year. So like, right. As you shift them around, like, except uh, for. The damn taxes. Except <laughs> for the taxes, right. That's tax. why I said yeah. tax year. I mean, 2015, I started in October, and I only had, what, $4,900 wagered, $1,475 profit. So it's like 2015 is barely a year that I was, like, playing, playing at all. Yeah. I mean, I just started out with some soccer and low stakes. Uh, but, but, yeah, so, I mean... I, I don't consider it to be a great year for me. I mean, I also like toned down my play just from a sake of, I guess, mental health. I mean, I did the same thing for the first time. It was like after losing and, and I, I mean, you, you were having a winning year. You still, you know, 
Yeah, but you have losing periods. You still have downswings regardless. Yeah. And I I just, this year, by by the end of the year, I was like, man, this is brutal. I just, I don't want to play. I don't want to max out these contests anymore. Uh, So I, so I stopped. I started playing much lesser volume. Uh, I think I'll probably ramp up again at some point this year. It's just been, I kind of needed the break a little bit. So I've still been playing, but like NBA, like, I haven't been playing that often. I've been playing like a couple times a week in NBA and I'm still not maxing it out. Uh, just, you know, I'm doing so much NFL content that I kind of feel like that's where I need to be focusing right now. And then I think now as NFL wraps up, I'll probably start playing NBA more like every day, but still probably not maxing it. Right. And I had the World Cup for three weeks. So like, yeah, I was dealing with dealing with that, even though that's earlier in the day. But it's like there's only a certain amount from a mental health perspective. It's, it's from three, three reasons, three regards. When we say mental health in general, mental health, when it comes to, you know, the upswings and downswings, I mean, that's the common, like you, this is a high variance thing. If you're playing DFS, especially as a primary portion or a large portion of your income. Uh, so that takes a toll mentally on you. You also have the, the, the mental toll of, of just the mental energy of like, especially NBA, Who's in? Who's out? What are they going to do? I got to adjust this. I got to make lineups there. I got like, you're just constantly in this mode of making lineups. Did this, do it go, what about, you know? And then you just like, do I feel like going through that today? Maybe not today. Maybe I don't feel, I, I feel like 80%. It's like, well, if I feel that just, then I just, I won't play this late or I won't play both sides or I won't like, or I'll just, hey, I'll just play a single entry one lineup. I have enough mental energy for that. And if I need to make late swaps at NBA, I only have to deal with one lineup or three lineups or something. Yeah. Right, something like that. And then the third mental health aspect is just like the life EV of like, yeah, if my if I could grind and I I'm stand to be a favorite and generate some ROI over the long run, but you know, what's the value of like spending Wednesday nights wrestling, watching wrestling with my wife or yep. going going out on Saturday to see a show or just, you know, whatever it happens to be that like if I if I lose out on opportunities to make money, that as long as I'm as long as I'm taking care of myself like financially, then like do I have to play every day? Do I have to play every slate? Because then right. you have the com- compounding thing of like you're burnt out mentally from all the mental energy of doing everything in DFS, and then you you don't even feel like like even hanging out or anything. You're just like I just want to just veg and do nothing. Rather than that, so it's like I feel as if it's like these are the days that I do certain things. This is the, this is the night I take off on the Wednesday night. I know big NBA slate, but no, that that's that's wrestling night, and so the twelve game slate could just whatever. It just it, yeah, that it, it is and what I'll, it is. I'll add on to that. Uh, I'm also I don't know if this is true for you, but I'm also a much better social companion if I'm not playing DFS because mm-hmm. if I go out and I, I used to always. I used to always have the dream of like, it'd be so fun to win $100,000 while I'm hanging out with friends. You know, I think a lot of people kind of have that that dream. And more and more, I'm just like, I enjoy myself more if I'm not checking my phone constantly for updates. And I think people enjoy me more when I'm not constantly, you know, if you're playing NBA and you're out with friends, you, you constantly have to be looking at your phone like, oh, do I need to make adjustments? And you're mid-conversation and you kind of get, you know, lost in the conversation. And you're just not as enjoyable uh, if you are playing DFS sometimes. So sometimes for me, it's just like, I'm going out, I'm going to be having fun. I don't want to be sweating DFS or worrying about my DFS lineups while I'm out. So there's, there's a lot of good reasons to not play DFS every day. And also I think it's just, uh, you know, 
I have been doing it for so long and the dream was to be able to, to play uh, professionally and do it every day. And now I sort of feel like I'm doing content. That's really fulfilling. I don't really feel quite the same need to be like just grinding all day, every day. You know, it's, you know, it's even more fun on those nights that you're out with your friends and not playing DFS is to you check Twitter Right. So you check Twitter everyone's and watching everyone else tilt the things that you avoid. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> all the NBA tilt, just what, reading, reading Jesse and DK DFS and all these guys tilting NBA every night and I'm not playing. It has, it's a lot more enjoyable. Right. You look, it's like, oh, 68% don't whatever the hell, like either got there or didn't get there. If you played him or not, or this guy was supposed to be out, but now he's in. And then, and then you're just sitting there going, oh, Look at all the things that I didn't have to deal with, right? Sucks to be you. Yeah. Sucks. So even if you're winning or losing, it's just like, like, oh, all that, all that stress is like, oh, okay. And it's a little bit more fun to watch other people stress out about whatever the hell's yeah. going on than 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 I am. So like, oh, sometimes that's I'll check point. Twitter and be like, Added that's benefit. fun. All those tilters, just yeah, we can just get watch from the sidelines. It's a lot more enjoyable than when you're tilting along with them. Right, and then make a joke or something, right? It's, it's like, oh, ima imagine X, right? It's like, like, oh, whatever, like that. It's like, oh, you must have gotten killed. It's like, no, I didn't play. <laughs> like, oh, you did the you did the smart thing. I go, yeah, yeah. Every time, every once in a while, the nights that I don't happen to play, uh, yeah, I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> I do. I do still have a little bit of FOMO because I read the tilt tweets and I'm like, I wonder if I would agree with him if I had played this slate, like I, cause I, a lot of times I have no idea what the context is. Like I just, I don't know if this player X is a good player or not. Cause I didn't pay attention to the slate. I don't know what the dynamics of the slate. I don't know the pricing. I don't know how chalky they should be. So I have a little bit of like weird, weird FOMO around. Like, I wonder if I agree with them, but for the most part, I just enjoy watching the tilt. So, so for 2023, how how are your plans changing, or what are your plans in general from a, from a playing perspective? Obviously, not not a content perspective. Are yeah. you are you planning on altering the way you play, altering your contest selection, altering your bankroll allocation? I mean, are there things that that I'm not saying you stick to it because a lot of times you get a lot. Yeah. Of, hey, people make New Year's resolutions and they never stick to those. So, like, yep. is there anything that you're 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 you plan at least yep. to actively work on? Yeah. that so is I, different or, 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 or the same. So, so as we talked about, so this is my first big losing year in 2022. And while I can point to a number of times that I think I ran bad, I also look and I'm like, I think I played worse this year than I have in the past. And I think a lot of it has been trying to do too much when I don't have time. So like, and, and actually I'm, I'm zero for one so far. So, so one of my, one of my goals is to, uh, you know, play volume in accordance with how much I can play and still play well. And yesterday I did not have time in the morning to really make lineups, but I still did. And I still played a number, I don't know, 60, 70 lineups anyway, uh, prior to the, the noon game starting central time, uh, and didn't go well for me. And I think part of that is, you know, I ended up with, uh, I, I knew that I wanted, uh, like Michael Carter, for example, as a player that I was like, Nobody's going to play this guy. I think he's going to be great. So I wanted to be like, have like 10%. And I think I ended up with like 70% in one of the contests. And it was just a matter of literally I started, I did my first crunch a minute and a half before lock. It was, it was just like, I did not have the time. So uh, one big thing I'm going to try to focus on this year is just not playing if I don't have the time to play right and just make sure that I am actually playing well. Because a big, a big issue for me this past year was there were several days, not just like, a handful. There were several days where I had CSV issues or like, uh, you know, the 
Yeah, I saw I saw those tweets sometimes. You, you, it's like several. It times. happens You're several like, times. Like if you take a look at my lineups and whatever, just don't think I'm a I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, and it just kept happening to me. One thing or another, there was just I had a lot of issues, and it was just because. I mean, those things happen because you're crunched for time, right? Like a, a CSV issue, if you do it 15 minutes before lock, you can figure it out. Mm. I so often, and, and I've always been kind of a, you know, down to the wire kind of player, uh, like where I do things at the last minute, but you really do set yourself up for failure if you are putting your crunch in in the, in the final minute, which I still, I, I've struggled with all year. And, and this year bit me pretty hard, uh, especially I think because I was doing shows like right up to lock. And, you know, I, I've talked about it with a number of content people. I do think it is very negative EV for, at least for me to do live before lock kind of shows where I am. Like it was, I loved early in the season before NBA came on, I would be on the showdown deeper dive. And then there'd be a live before lock show for an hour after I was done. And then I could just really buckle down and focus on my lineups for that last hour. I think that's extremely important for me. It's so hard to try to talk about a slate while you're crunching lineups and uh i don't know I, I think it's it's pretty tough to do um so i forget what uh what point i was making here but 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 uh, the but, biggest sweat oh, you meant you mentioned it the big if you're if you're a serious dfs player the biggest sweat is not like not not during during the slate the biggest sweat is this whatever optimizer you use you use fc i use lineup hq this is the biggest sweat so it's uh it's uh you're 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 and you're making 150 right and you're making your last 150 either you're choosing lineups like i do or you're, you're going through whatever whatever it is but you're it's uh you finally you hit the you finally like what you want and you hit the button again and uh it says you know like 95 out of 150 and you yeah. pause it's the 100 worst. out of 150 and then you look at the corner of your computer and it's 6:15 just turned 6:59 p.m right? Yep. Eastern. You got 60 seconds left. And it's like 105 out of 150. And you're like, is it going to, am I going to be able to now cut and cut and paste and upload? Like that may take 10 seconds. You're in your head going, well, 10 seconds for this. And ten, like, like, is it getting there? Whether or not to stop it and just take 120 and just fucking ram it in. What I, what I, what I do, I, I've learned to eliminate that stress because it's going to happen regardless. You're going to be down to the wire no matter if you're spending an hour doing it is that I get to a certain point when I'm doing it that way where in the worst case scenario, am I fine with this set? I'm not perfectly fine, but it's better than nothing. Better yeah. than my dummy lineup 150 times. So it's it's a, it's a threefold process. It's a one, my dummy lineup will always be like the optimal, like a cash line. So it's like, Worst case scenario, I have a 150 train in that is min cash equity and so be it. Obviously, in NBA, there are also other little tricks of like, if it oh, one game locks at 7 o'clock, just put all the players in your lineup that are 7.30 and above, and you yeah. can always late swap from there. Baseball works the same way. NFL, it's a little harder when there's only three games late. Like, it, yeah. you could do that. But then the second level is like, if it's 12.45, at 15 minutes before NFL lock, and you're like, you're screwing around with a, a a portfolio and you're like, I need to make this better. But like this, if, if, if I just, ha if this, it's better than what I currently have in my, my CSV, I just upload that. I just upload that and then continue on. So if I get down to that, that, that 30 seconds left and I don't know if I'm going to make it, what, okay, then I just deal with whatever I got. And if I make it, yep. I, I deal with that. I, 
Are those and that's, that's what I that's what I tell myself I'm gonna do every time I'm like okay from now on I'm gonna set you know I'm just gonna put in submit lineups 20 minutes before lock and then I go to do that and I'm like oh but I do want to I want to make sure I get some of this player and then I, and then I keep making those adjustments and I forget to uh, I, I've been better about it but I, I still that's been uh, even recently I've kind of had that issue where I'm like oh but I do want to make sure I get a little bit more of this player or a little bit less of this player and make just continue making minor adjustments instead of submitting whatever I have. Uh, but yeah, that, that's definitely the right approach is to get in a usable set of lineups, you know, 15 minutes before the slate locks. And then you can continue tinkering and there's not a, not as much pressure on it once you've got some is lineups. That, is at least your just. dummy lineup usable? Yeah, my, my dummy lineup, I do I do submit a lineup that is usable for the contest, typically. Occasionally I, I have screwed that up, but, um, you know, for... Like showdown, I'm still like the lineup I'm submitting is usable. Like it's a lineup that I think theoretically could win. It's correlated well enough. But then I am like I'm leaving sour. Like every lineup I make for for showdown is unlikely to hit. Right. That's that's kind of the way I play showdown because I'm trying to avoid duplicated lineups. I'm making lineups that are not the most likely to hit. And then if you have a train of lineups that are you know just one lineup that's unlikely to hit, then it's uh you could be in. Well, then when you hit, you win everything. everything. That's true. But like that's yeah. How much? How much more do you even really win if you do? Uh, right. If you if you win with the solo so one fifty yeah. top, I mean, just you win you win like fifty percent of the price. You win like fifty five percent of the price. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so 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 your plan for twenty twenty three is more focused on on time efficiency issues. Yeah. And I will say, so So yesterday, one decision I made was I have less time, put more volume into the Wildcat. So rather than playing more lineups in the $20 milli, I was like, I'm going to hand build some lineups. And, and I still ran into time issues, but at least I, I tried to make it a little bit easier uh, that way. And yeah, it's, I still, I ended up making one lineup where I, you know, put in a dummy. I, I made a lineup and I was like, shit, I've got 3,200 left for one player. Just put in somebody from the late game. I'll figure it out later. And then after I did, I was like, oh shit, everybody else in my lineup is from the noon game. And I was locked into a receiver who was 3,200 or less. And it was still didn't go, go all that well for me. I still needed more time and probably should have pared back my play even more just because I didn't have time to focus on it. Um, but in general, yeah, I think I'm trying to adjust uh according to how much time i have and and that might mean different contest selection like part of part of this past year what i was thinking was looking at my 2021 results i had a great year but it would have been so much better if i just stuck to large field gpps like i was up even more in large field gpps and then lost a lot in uh smaller field stuff in, in higher dollar stuff so i thought well if i just eliminate those things largely from my play I can do even better than I did this year. And, and of course, this, uh, then 22 came, 2022 came, and it didn't go well for me. Uh, so I think I'm going to adjust back because I do think, you know, although I have not had nearly as much success in high stake stuff, I think I get it. Like, I think that I could do better in high stake stuff. And I think when I don't have much time, that's probably where I should focus a little bit more of my energy. Not like the, I don't mean like the, you know, $5,000 contest, but high stakes like the, you know, a 5,000 person contest and, and just put in like, one $200 lineup instead of 10 $20 lineups is something that I could right. probably so Similar to what I've time. done this season in NFL where I'm playing the power sweeps and the spies, like the 153 max, the $100, whatever. I mean, and you could play the $400 juke or you could play, like, I don't play that, but I mean, or even the wild, if you want to play like the large, kind of largest field version of that is like the 333 wildcat, like yep. those types instead of, instead of, so are you looking to eliminate more of your large are you going to do 
I don't know. I mean, if I have time, I still think that I'm better at large field stuff than high stake stuff. So I think when I have time, I'm still going to play the largest field tournaments. Like I do think that that is my best skill set is is large field. Why don't um, you just pare down the amount of lineups? Why don't how about instead of I could. playing the 150 max and just playing 20 lineups? Yeah, and I and that I have. I mean, I have been doing that a good amount as well. Um, yeah, it, it just it takes more time to make a good uh, set of 20 lineups, I think, than to make one good lineup in a mm. larger field or sorry, a, a smaller field contest. Right. So it's just it's just a matter of time. But I think I'm, I'm still more inclined to play larger field stuff because that's what I've played, you know, for the what 10 years that I've been playing DFS now. Um, it's been mostly large field. I think that's what I'm best at. So I probably will continue to still the majority of my play will be large field, but I think I'm just going to try to be a little bit more selective when I don't have the time to make a good, like if I, sometimes I don't want to set up my fantasy cruncher, which for a little while yesterday, I was thinking, okay, I don't have much time. I'm not even going to bother with fantasy cruncher. I'm just going to make, you know, three hand-built wildcard lineups and call it a day. And then I couldn't get myself to, to stop there and ended up making a few uh, large field ones too. But yeah, I'm probably just going to adjust according to the amount of time I have, uh, what I have going on for that last hour before lock. Like if I'm on a live before lock show, I think it's tougher to play more lineups. Um, so yeah, just adjusting to my lifestyle. Right. But you're, you're still, you're still like, you still understand as far as large field play that, you know, the variance is still going to be ridiculous. I mean, it's still, it's still like you could play well and have a losing year. Yeah, I do. I do want to, I mean, I think it's a combination. Like I do think I ran bad uh, a few times. Like, I, I mean, I can think of a few times where I'm like, okay, I think I ran pretty bad in that contest. But uh, I also think that I did play worse this year than I have in the past. Like I just have, I didn't put in quite the same amount of concentration. I think I sort of forgot how difficult it is to win in large field GPPs and mm-hmm. forgot how much effort I really did. I really was putting in the past few years. I got a little bit uh, complacent this year. And mm. I think part of it also, you, you add in the content and it's harder to put in the same amount of focus into your own lineups as you're talking about uh, what you're going to do and that kind of stuff. So yes, I, I do recognize that you can have a bad year, even if you're playing well, even if you're playing great. Uh, but I think that this past year I was playing worse than I have in past years on top of, I think, not having as good of luck as I had had the previous couple of years. Right, and it's hard to in DFS. It's incredibly hard to know the difference between playing playing bad and running bad. So, like by default, if it your if your attitude is always like defaulting towards maybe I'm playing bad, like that's better to have than just always think you're unlucky and then just right. lose for four years in a row and just go go. Oh, I've just been getting lucky unlucky for that long. It's like maybe you're maybe you're just playing bad. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I think it is important to know. And like, even when I say like, I, I hesitate to say that I can think of examples where I ran bad because then I think about it, I was like, well, I ran bad at the end after I got super lucky to be competitive. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, yeah, you, you got to keep in mind that you might just be not playing well. And I haven't actually looked at my roto tracker in a bit, but the last time I checked by like looking at my 1% buckets, this is the first year that I've been tracking that my top 1% is not the highest bucket for me. Like I have, and some of them, part of that is just the, the CSV errors. Like I can see a big spike on a day that I just submitted 300 of the same lineup and they, and it did poorly. Um, but, but in general, this is the first year that I can see, like, I don't have that graph looking the way I want it to, uh, on my roto tracker. Right. So. You want to make it look like the hockey stick. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Something like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I think, well, my, my, my plans, my adjustments, uh, 
much different than 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 your than your adjustments, which I, I think your your adjustments are for for I think are fine. I mean, what what you what you've said to yourself is like, let me focus on what I do best. Let me play at only my peak level. Let me make sure that I'm giving 100% effort into one thing rather than 50% efforts into a whole bunch of things. Uh, my focus now, I'm on a, I'm on a, I'm on a kick. I'm going to kick a phrase. I, I, I talked about on the DFS pregame show of where does the money come from? Like, it's like, I'm, 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 I could almost put it on a, on a, on my wall somewhere. Right. Cause I've been getting back into poker. Right, because I used to play. I've I used to play ridiculous. I mean, yeah. I mean, back in the day, I mean, I that's what I did. I mean, I played like seventy hours a week for like five years. Uh so I've been brushing. I've been brushing up, right? And obviously, the games here at the the local casino card room aren't the hardest of games. But my my same thing. I I want to play as well as possible. I, am I am I looking to be like it's the same thing in DFS? Am I looking to be Millie Waker winner? Am I looking to to, to lie final it up or anything. No, no. I just like fifty to seventy five thousand dollars on average a year. And I, I viewed poker the same way. But I want to play at a level where I think I could walk into that card room with the highest game being like a two five or a five ten no limit holding game and be and be a favorite. And be a favorite in any I could sit down no matter who what other seven players sit at the table, they play eight handed. That I'm a favorite in this game. Like, and if I get to that point, which for fuck knows, I may already be at that point for crying out loud. I don't know that that's the thing is, it's like, I, I just don't know. I've been away from the game playing it seriously for 15 years that I don't know. So I just can't take anything for granted. And I just have to do the work. Just let me cement the concepts in. What am I doing? Well, what am I not doing? Well, how am I going through all that? But one of the concepts, uh, Ed Miller, who is in the sports betting space now, but I mean, he's written nine poker books. And I think he's one of the best poker writers ever. Uh, in uh, one of his books, The Course, he has a whole section on where the money comes from, right? And it's a ba- it's a basic like game objective type of thing. It's not it's 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 not a like like not where does your money come from? Yeah, I go out and I make a make a living and then I have money. Like it's not it's just like where does the profit where does the ROI come from, right? And I go over a similar type of thing in the theory of DFS in the first course about the top, the number one thing that will have an impact on your ROI in DFS is the relative skill value between you and your opponents. On average. Now, if you're playing a large field GPP, it's just on average. You don't have to be the best you just have to be better than average than the rake, than the rake also, right? So you, if the rake is fifteen percent. You have to be fit like fifteen percent better than the, and then anything past the aggregate of the field, you got you got to be better than them. So like mm-hmm. at a poker game, a lot a lot of bad bad thinking that people it'll be an eight handed table or whatever, and you'll you'll go and you'll see a seat open, you'll go. Well, there's a really good player. There's a really good player. There's a really good player. I don't want to sit in this game because there's three like players that I think are better than me in this game. And they go, I, I, I want to sit at this other table or something like that, right? I'd rather sit somewhere else. When in fact, you should be thinking and not how many good players are in your game. It's like, well, 
this guy, this guy, and this guy. Like, one guy I'm better than, this guy I'm much better than, and then there's like two people that are almost dumping their money at the poker table. Like, they, they're, they're not, they're horrible. Like, that's, dude, where does the money come from? Like, when you go, I'm, well, I don't want to play this game because there's like three other good players in it. It's like, well, that's not where the money comes from, right? The money comes from the bad players. So you should be judging the table by the amount of bad players. They're players that can be exploited because they probably play too many hands and they call too many bets and they whatever, whatever, whatever they're, they're, they're humongous leaks in their game that they're not even thinking of. They're there to gamble it up and whatever the fuck they're doing. Uh, you're not going to, you're not, your profit will not come from the good players. Now, what the good players are there is that we're fighting over their money. Right. Yep. So me, we, we may have to battle it out amongst ourselves, but ultimately we're fighting for their money. That's where the urn in the table comes from past the rake. And you have to be better than average than your opponents. And mm-hmm. then once you're in a situation where you're a favorite, you may not be the best player in the game, but you're better than average than the rake. Then it comes down to how do you make more of your fair share of that money? Where? How do you do that? And you do that through exploits. You do that through what are the weaknesses? What is? How do I find either the highest EV situations or how do I find the most EV situation? It may not be the highest EV, but produce... Little, little, little by little, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm if I'm always on the button and I'm always do this, like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in a profitable spot no matter what I do. So I'm gonna get into a lot of little situations like that, and then I want to set myself up to get into this big EV situation where someone just hands over their entire stack to me, or or is being put in a situation where I could bet the pot at the end and win, unless they have the nuts, win every hand. So I could exploit that situation. So you're finding those opportunities. So I've been on a kick on where the money comes. Where does the money come from? And then viewing DFS ecosystem as that. Where does the money come from? Because in a GP, and you're playing large field GPPs, Neil. Yep. Like your profit doesn't come from Alex or yep. Adam or Squirrel Patrol, or Brick, or name, you know, name, name all, all the... Name all the high-stakes guests. Right. Name all yeah. all those, the, the good players. Said, yeah. the reason why you're profiting is because there are enough negative EV lineups on average, in total, compared to your lineup set and lineups, that you're, you may be a slightly lower EV than Alex, but you're just fighting with, like, like dude, I'm just going to get in there, and as long as my lineup sets and like everything... We're fighting over the players that are, you know, way too low projected or way too high owned type of lineups. And we're basically fighting over that money past the rake. So the more amount of those players, that's why the Millie is truthfully the highest DV contest you could play because yep. other than the payout structure, other than, than the variance of that is, is, in, in, of, is, is insane. But from yeah. an EV perspective, it is, but it's, Primarily because of the of the bad lineups, bad. Yeah. And when I say bad, it doesn't. It means either too low projected or too high owned. They're both give you equity in different bands of the and, contest, and some completely uncorrelated too. I mean, right. There's, there's I'm not saying that you can't win with an uncorrelated lineup, but obviously that helps out. Yeah. So that, like, if you just drill down to like, why am I playing this contest? Where does the money come from? And we found in the in the NFL. 
in the past year especially that the contest that I typically played and that I won two years ago, the slant, the $9 slant, used to be, when I won it, it was 65,000 entries, right? And we'd have maybe 28% of the field is a 150 maxer. Mm-hmm. Now it's like towards the end of the year. Now it's 15 K to first, but most of the year it was like 20, 25 K to first 30 K to first much flatter at the top. I love the 30,000 to first 3000 to 10th nice two X line cat, like lovely payout structure. But now because of the lower, the lower participation, it's like 18,000 entries and 54% of the lineups are from 150 maxers. So it's like, I'm not counting as, like, oh, they're playing too many 150 bets. So it's only 46% of the lineups are from people that are putting in ones and twos and tens and stuff like that. That, like, dude, it, this may this may actually be, outside of variance, outside of the payout structure, the hardest contest to the least profitable even if you are profitable, the least profitable contest in the lobby, even yeah. though it has the best, it's the lowest variance, but I, from a large field perspective, we're not talking about the smaller field stuff. And stuff like the Millie, the play, like the play action is, the $3 play action is very high EV contest. It's just, it's hard to realize your equity there. So like it's like- 500,000 entries, isn't it? Right. But I know a ton, a ton of people that like, oh, I'm going to play, I'm going to play the, I'm going to play whatever it is, $5 flea flicker or something like that or whatever, NBA, MLB. And depending on the time of year, go download those CSVs and you may see like like the first two months of the MLB season versus August and September that the amount of bad lineups, bad. And if you just, you don't even look at the, the lineups. You just go by percent of 150 maxers or 100 plus maxers or 50 plus People mm-hmm. fifty plus lineups versus ones that are under that go start tilting dramatically, kind of by the end of the year like that. That maybe, maybe that's the time to start looking at single entry. Maybe that like maybe there are other contests. I'm not saying there are, but maybe there are other contests that at that maybe in the beginning it's fine, but at the end it isn't. The cash games in NFL work that way. The first so month, are you saying in MLB, it's uh, earlier on in the year there are fewer or there are more non one hundred and fifty maxers yes. early in the year in MLB. Yeah, it, almost every so sport works to, that way. Yeah. In the beginning, yeah. in the beginning, there's much more casual participation. Towards the end, there there aren't. It also depends on what sports are going on at the day, the time of year, right? Uh, like you know the 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 sun the, and then sometimes it tilts the other way because like a Sunday NBA slate. May actually have less 150 maxers because they're focused on NFL. Like it, like yep. it, it, it may be or it may not be. I mean, it, you have to check, inst- you know, check on those specific instances. But just it's not. I'm not trying to get into the to the specifics of this. But when you think of where the money comes from, like you should be judging contests based on either one of two things: one, more bad participation, more people that build bad lineups that are objectively bad for the contest, mm-hmm. like that are just objectively bad or players that may not be bad in general in DFS, but for those specific contests, they have exploits. 
So for instance, yeah. in a poker in a poker game, maybe it's an eight-handed table and you're playing with two other really good players, really good quote unquote players, and you know, five, not not the good four, not so great, or whatever the hell it is. And maybe in this game, this one player tilts too far in doing this one thing. And it works against unobservant opponents of weak levels that they're playing against, but it's totally could be exploitable for a, for maybe not a high EV, but a decent enough and frequent EV that because they have not adjusted to their, they are playing this game like they're playing the game. It's like, it, it happens in poker a lot of times where some high, higher stakes player that's used to playing against better competition that sits down because they're waiting for the big game to run and they're playing in some smaller stakes game and they're not understanding why when they overbet the pot and get called by second pair that why that person didn't fold because in the other game, like based and you just run out the logic, even like from a sound yeah. theoretical poker theory, you go in almost every situation like that bet is supposed to get a fold right there. Like how could you possibly call based on how this action has run out? Like these play, you're playing against people that aren't, that didn't think of all of that. They're just like, I think you're betting big because you're bluffing and I'm folding. And it's like, no, no, I'm betting big because you're supposed to think I'm betting big because I'm folding. And then you fold anyway, because I'm trying right. to like that. We may work in the high, in the higher stakes game with slightly with better comp competition. And then they just burn through money. there, either bluffing too much or calling too lightly. And it's like, no, they are, but objective, they're an objectively good poker player, but they have not adjusted. They've played hundreds and oh. thousands of hours in one game, but not this game isn't where it, the optimal kind of strategy the same thing is different. As the, your, your exploit of people entering their cash game into a triple up in, right. or into a three-man contest is the same kind of thing. as people, yeah, you made a great lineup for that cash game, and you didn't adjust it at all for the three man, and I can exploit that. It's the same same right. kind of concept. Right. Though that that would be an exploit of of objectively good players, and a lot of times they don't even care about like like it. If you, sometimes there's not that many blenders out there trying to take advantage of. Right. Well, first off, there aren't that many. There aren't that many. I'm I'm relating it back to poker, where yeah. you could sit and play in what could be an exploitable way, but no, but the vast majority of people you're playing against will never find that exploit. Will just like right. simply not be observant enough, or even if they are just not be able to find it or find it and not be able to have a proper counter strategy against it. Mm -hmm. And then you just like, well, I don't care about balancing. I'm just going to just do whatever it is that I do. Uh, or someone can find it, but can't profit enough from it that it makes as much of an impact on your on your win rate on your earn in general. Where we have this three man, you know, if you're if if you're playing a hundred dollars a slate, right, and you're like I'm I'm gonna play I'm gonna go and actually look for the best objective best cash players in the lobby, and then play the five dollar five mans. And play 20 of them. And I also, and I purposely want to play against players that aren't bad, that aren't objectively bad. And go, well, if I could, if I could just study their cash lineups on a slate to slate basis and then get a whole set of projections from multiple sides and figure out like what, what, 
What is what are they most likely to play? What is this guy most likely? Maybe even on an opponent, you could do it opponent by opponent even and download the CSVs and go, what are they most likely to play here on this lane and this lane? Like what? And maybe back, you know, try to reverse engineer what projection set if they're using an aggregate or something like that and then use that information and say, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to go a 4v, it's a five man, it's a five man, you know, and I'm going to 4v4, take off a half a point in projection, a point in projection, and then, you know, you can even run a Monte Carlo on that and go, I think I'm profitable here, and then do 20 of them, and, you know, have a, end up with a 12% ROI, and even if you told them, even if you just literally said, you went up to David Mock and say, hey, you know that I know exactly what your lineup is going to be, like, literally every MLB slate and I'm playing you in three mans with whoever else. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of exploiting you. He's going to say, I have $67,000 in play. Right. I don't like, care. Like, 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 yeah, good. Yeah. You're, 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 t- you're taking, you're taking a, uh, an extra like $6 of like EV raw money, $6 EV. For right. me, that is the $6 per day worth my time to find you in my three mans and specifically make a lineup that counters your strategy for those $100. Yeah, just not worth it. Right. They're not. They're just not They're just not going to do it. And now, you, if it was in the 10... You can't just block people in three mans, can you? Like, you, you can block people in head-to-head is my right. understanding. You can't block people in, in three mans or anything. Yeah. But mm-hmm. even if it was the higher stakes, if it was someone doing that at 10K... I think they're gonna they're gonna go okay. I I I see why I, I they they take a look at their rotor tracker and they say why am I why is my three man ROI going so significantly down this past month than versus what should be expected? Is it variance or is it that someone is exploit? Someone has exploit and typically at at that level, you'll notice the name. You'll go oh my three of my three mans filled that normally don't fill. Like I mean, they'll start noticing there. But at the lower levels, and I'm not. I said a hundred dollars a slate. Like, dude, it could be a thousand. It could be two thousand. It could be even at that level, depending on the the sport and the volume. That those are exploits, and I'm mentioning one of them. Who says there aren't others? Who says that right. there aren't that a significant amount of people that play this single entry contest play these? Like, I don't know what they are, but I I could study CSVs and possibly find some type that i mean here's a here's a common one right head to head late swap yeah. right i mean you people dude the same thing that i said about about mclovin people every once in a while i get a dm saying that i played you in a five dollar head to head on this uh nfl slate and uh i played mike evans uh right this past slate yeah. and uh we had two we had a we had a receiver and a defense left that was obviously Garrett Wilson and the 49ers and you didn't swap right and you didn't you didn't like why didn't you like you you should you're down by like 21 points like why didn't you and i like my attitude is the same thing for McLovin. it's like i don't get down to my five dollar head to heads and right i'm not looking care at each of those right and look at it no i i just i it's not it's not worth it's not worth my time in a large scale. So yeah. like that in and of itself is an exploit. And also, even if it's someone that you don't know, it's like the likelihood, the probability of them late swapping 
so few people do it than should that if you always late swapped, right, you're more, you're more either, either they're not changing their lineup. So now you could identify what they have and then late swap to a higher win probability lineup or you, you're ahead and you just don't worry about any type of third level. Well, they're going to swap onto this. So I'm going to swap back onto that. Like, dude, no one does that in DF. Like I, I don't encounter anyone that should be doing. They, they're, they, they know that, right? They got McCaffrey left in the utility, right? And it's like, well, do I, I'm behind. Should I switch to Jefferson? And then they go, well, my opponent is observant. And if I, I'll switch to Jefferson because I know that they're going to switch to Jefferson. And when the cards cards turn up and it's Jefferson, Jefferson, and I'm up by eight points, I win because we both share the point. Like that's a poker thinking, but it just, it, the third level, just like you don't see maybe in 10 K's, like may, maybe, maybe you see people that it's worthwhile, but I don't think at the lower levels and I don't think barely at all, let alone any level people are thinking it that way. So you know, the exploit is, just stick with your goddamn lineup. I mean, like the exploit is to not late swap when ahead and late swap when you're behind because no one is exploiting that. So that's a that's another. These are common, like what we what we've talked about and people do know. But who says there aren't? Who says there are not late? I know he's behind, so he's going to switch to something like that. And it could be three because since they're doing it in all their cash lineups, possibly. Maybe there's some three-man exploit when it comes to late swap. Maybe there's a five-man exploit, a triple-up exploit. Maybe, I don't, I may be overthinking this, but maybe there is. But the key, the key to all of this comes down to where does the money come from, right? So if you're playing large field, the money comes from all the bad play. Okay, you, you don't have to exploit the good play. You don't have to exploit the good players. There's no, you know, just right. try to get your bigger than your fair share. Uh, but in NBA, it def- it's definitely true. Objectively good players like you, I don't have time for NBA as much. You're not paying attention to NBA as much. And when the new starting lineup for the Nuggets comes in at nine o'clock and it's a slightly different deviation and it makes like this guy project for two points more, but nothing to like jam him in or anything like that. There are plenty of people. I mean, dude, Jokic could be out and some, you know, and there, whoever benefits is still underowned. Yeah. And then you look at, you could go into results DB or lineup rewind and you could find plenty of 150 maxers that have 0% of that guy that probably should be 47% owned now. Yeah. Simply because they just weren't just, they didn't, they didn't get to it. Like they, they're busy. Right. So like, like that in and of itself is a, would be considered an act just simply late swapping when new news comes and some guy projects for God knows how much even amongst good players could still even be an exploit. The MMA late swapping stuff that I'm doing, you know, there are plenty of people not paying attention. Like that's an exploit and I'm playing against in these five fifty fives, not against many like objectively bad players, but something they're just not paying attention enough to. So like my goal in 2023 is to do as actively try, try actively to find the spots to put in my money in best. Even if they're not, even if I have to forego spots that are comfortable for me, meaning that maybe during MLB season, maybe NBA coming up or anything like that. When I start playing NBA again, well, 
do I spend my time like do I break up my time where I'm going to build 50 large field lineups, I'm going to build three small field lineups, then I'm going to try the three mac three man exploit, the five man exploit, the what and try to do all of this when maybe I should just be focusing on where are the exploits that I know of and then just doubling and tripling down and just mm-hmm. saying said so I'll play ML, I'll play MLB and be like nope, I'm just playing on both sides every day. I'm going to play three I'm going to try to balance out my variance by playing three lineups, evenly distribute everything and just play and just play a a triple a triple a 3x to 5x style contest exploit on both sites with three lineups and then just do that every day and just like well what happens to the 100k to first whatever like is it worth is where does the money come from and maybe instead of splitting my time doing that i just have 100% of the time just where does the money come from i mean sometimes sometimes in in poker the money comes from the bad players so much that you just sit there and wait for a hand and get paid and it's yeah. like well it couldn't you be doing more couldn't you be doing this there and that there it's like no the ev of those things are some so of what I'm waiting for is so much higher that I might as well just wait for it. Or it could be a game where it's the opposite, where I don't think there's anyone at the table that's going to just hand me their stack, but they're still bad players in some regard. They don't do this enough. They don't do, they don't value bad enough. They don't do whatever that I'm just like, so instead of waiting for the one spot where I get all their chips, I'm just going to start ciphering off $20 a pot here and there that by the end of the session, equals that amount that that amount of chips so it's like which which one am i focusing on in dfs and i think that so many people focus on the waiting for what the one hand to take all the chips that they're bypass because it's it's the sexy thing to do right and then just bypassing the just being kind of the bottom feeder and just like at the end of the year oh i'm up fifty thousand. And it's like, oh, you must have like binked a GPP. And it's like, no, right? Didn't didn't bink a GPP at all. Just like I just, my graph doesn't look like this anymore. It just looks like kind of like more like a cash game graph. Your, yeah. Yours has always looked more like that than like every other GPP player I know. It's always a little bit more of a, right. I don't know if I'm doing it the right way. But yeah, I mean, like compared to me, it's like down, down, down spike. And, and until this year it was just down, down, down for the most part. Uh, but your, yours has always been relatively like, well, because I've, because I've split, because the thing is, is that I've split and say, I'm going to play cash games. I'm going to play this. I'm going to play on the softer side for this cash, a little bit more volume there. So it like balances it out. But I'm, I'm thinking in regard of maybe I can make as much, maybe I can make as much money with lower variance, right? You know, I'm, I'm the fucking, I'm, I'm Joey Kanish. I'm the, I'm David Sklansky. I'm the like, dude, can, is there a way for me? Like, I'm always thinking of, the most amount of return for the least amount of time type of mentality. So I'm like, like, dude, and also the least amount of variance. Can I, can I do that? Can I get all three things together? I want to spend the least amount of time to make the most amount of money in comparison to the time and in comparison to the variance of the, of the least amount of swings. So I'm like, could it be possible that finding those exploits and doubling, tripling down on them and focusing so you have a hundred percent of your energy towards that instead of splitting it up, your your focus. I'm gonna do my lineups for the first 10 minutes here, then the next 40 minutes on these, and maybe just do that. Will I be able to like maybe I get to the same exact return 
at the end of the at the end of the quote year or whatever period or whatever it is from an hourly perspective of time and my variance is almost not like my variance I don't have I don't have swing like yeah I can't win 100k on one night no I can't I can't right. I'm also you know there will be nights I put in 2 grand and get zero back but there'll be nights that I put in 2 grand and make 6000 6500 right Right. And then it goes it goes like that. And then with proper bankroll management, just like just double, triple down on that. And then by the end of the year, it's like I'm not I'm not in a position where, you know, oh, I lost I lost in GPP. I lost uh minus fifty percent of my entries on average, minus thirty percent of my entries on average for uh thirty days. Right? Like you like, dude, if if I if I were to lose like out of 30 slates, if I would have lost 28 of them, like doing my, like the three man five, like that type. And that means I'm just, I'm fucking it up. I'm like, like yeah. that, like I, there's no, like I'm running bad. It's like, I'm playing. I'm I, you, I will never get to the point where the downswing is so bad that I don't recognize that what I'm doing is wrong, that I would be able to adjust from that point. While in large field GPPs, you could go, you could lose for three years straight and not realize that you're playing bad. Right. And that was the most interesting. So just going back, uh, this is somewhat related, uh, nerdy tenor, your, your conversation with nerdy tenor, when he mentioned that, you know, over the period, I don't remember six month period where he had won like $500,000, he had back tested and he was like, yeah, I back tested. And there were scenarios where I lost 700,000 in that same time frame instead, because that's just the, the variance of large field GPP. So it's, it is really hard to know when you are playing badly versus running bad. And, you know, we have metrics we can look at like top 1% buckets is probably the one that, you know, you and I are or top 0.1% buckets. Those are the things that we look at the most. I mean, I think uh, that's probably the closest thing we have to a good metric, but even that is, you know, flawed. Like it's still not the, the best indicator. Uh, it's really, it's really hard to know. So yeah, it's a lot easier to know. So uh, am I understanding correctly? So are you giving up large field GPPs then and just focusing on these like three man, five man kind of contests. Active, well, maybe not just that. I may play single entry GPP. I mean, I mean, I may okay. not just do that, but at what I say right now on January 2nd is, is yes. It's like, is what other than the fact of like, well, that's what I've played, you know, for and, and made money right with big spikes the past seven years. Like, in reality, the first year and a half that I played DFS was soccer cash games, kind of. And my my graph during that period is just literally just linear, kind of just yeah. like, mm, like, so I'm like, why not just do, mm, why just not, not just do, eh, why not, why not just, yeah. why not just right. do that where that's where the exploits are. And from, I'm, I'm getting into that mentality because you would think poker works the same way, right? Because there's, Two basic formats of poker, primarily, uh, other than the game, the game choice, is cash games or tournaments, right? And when it comes to tournaments, it's very similar to GPPs and DFS. Progressively payout structure. There's a certain time you have to really focus. You're going to be playing for the next twelve hours straight, right? Maybe with a lunch break or something like that. And you could go busto 10, 10, 10 minutes in. You could go make it to a final table. You get right to the cash line and bubble and not make anything. And you know, maybe you only min cat. Like it's the same picture, the same type of hockey stick type of thing where most of the equity is towards the top. And you could play 
a t- you know, you play these tournaments, $500, $1,000 tournament or whatever, go around, you can play, on, obviously online, you can play a lot more or whatever, and you got to be much better because the players are better. Uh, but let's say you're playing both and you go a $200 tournament here, $500 tournament there. Like you could go through six months and be down like a quarter of a million dollars. Like, I mean, and then you could end up winning a World Series of Poker bracelet and 1.5 million. Right. I mean, like, like that's what that's what it's going to look like. And a lot of times, the, if you're strictly more mostly a tournament player, you're selling shares of yourself. People are trading to to lower the variance. To lower, like, yeah. like I'm going to buy, I'm going to take fifty percent of me and sell five percent, five percent, or trade five percent with other players that I think I have equity again with, and and they do all that just to stabilize their. So it's like, oh, I got busted in the first hour, but I got two other horses still in, right? And then maybe the person that you traded with 5% ends up coming in third place and you get 5% of that. I mean, like... I, I told you that when I was in the Tournament of Champions 2020 or whatever, whenever it was the first one, uh, I like I followed RBX88 on Instagram and he immediately reached out to me and was like, and and the, like the first conversation we had offered, do you want to swap some equity? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Is this legal? Like this seems this seems illegal. And it's because he comes from a poker background. Where it's just like this is what you do. Like this is how you make profit, like guarantee profit long term, or uh, not guarantee, but make it uh, very likely that you're going to profit long term. Is you find other good players and you and you swap equity. Uh, so it's it's funny that that has not become a bigger thing in DFS. And m- maybe there are more DFS players than I realize who do swap equity, but. Uh, not something that I've gotten into. Right. I don't, I don't, I, I only hear about that typically for like live final stuff. Yeah. Of swapping equity, but I don't see like on a regular, but there probably are, there probably are people, there probably are 150 maxers that they're not colluding. They're not playing. They're, they're playing completely independently from each other and just say, you know, for, for NBA season, let's, let's swap 10% of e- each other and that'll, that'll help out on their, their swings with high volume. Yeah. But the other, sense. the other thing than tournaments is the cash games, right? And cash games in poker, I'm not going to go to my two five no limit game with a thousand max and end up walking out with fifty thousand dollars. The game isn't the game isn't that good, right? Where people are just dumping money. I mean, it's not going to happen, right? You're looking at, you know, at, at a at a two five five ten thing, um, seventy five hundred an hour in the five ten. If you're good enough, ten bb, five bb. I mean, like. 40, 50 an hour, if you, if you know, something like that. So it's just, just an hourly. You're like, it's, it's rare. If you have a thousand dollar buy-in and maybe you, maybe you, maybe you lose on a bad night, you lose 2,500, right? On a good night, on a really, on a good night, maybe, maybe you make four, on a really good night, maybe you make four grand. But a lot of times it's going to be the down 400, up 600, down 200, up 1200, up, like it's going to just be, like like that, and as long as like if you're playing two percent of your bankroll or whatever, you know, or buy, per buy-in or whatever way that you want to uh, divvy it up, or how conservative you want to be, like you're, it's just one long game. It's just like I can play four hours now and two hours later, or ten hours now. Like it's if the game is good, you should be playing, right? If the game is, you could get there and go. Yeah, there's really no dumpers here, and I'm not, and just not play or play a different game. You play PLO, you play, say, you know, wherever the softest game is, whatever you want to do. Uh, but the thing is, is that it's not sexy. Like you're not, you're not going to be on the cover of Card Player Magazine. You're not going to, there's not, you know, there's not going to be some big check for you, and you're never going to just 
You never, I'm never going to come home and tell my wife. It's like, yeah, yeah, I played for 12 hours and made 35000 in some, you know, $500, multi, you know, big multi-table tournament locally or something that come, like, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not going to get any of those. And in DFS, the people that are known the most and the things that the sexiest things that are going on are primarily GPPs. And yeah. then the really, the nosebleed level cash games. Like, you know, like the high volume cash game players. Empire Maker. Yeah. Right. But I I could tell you from conversations, because I talk to people via email or DM, there are tons of small stakes players making good side money, right? If we want to cut 15, 20,000, 25,000 a year. Wow. Simply, you would never know who they are. Like they're not on the leaderboard. They're not on that. They're, they're playing, they're, they're either maxing out the, all the, like the $1 contest, you know, maxing out the low stake stuff in GPP, running a process that goes for five minutes, you know, like some automated thing they set up in Python. And then, you know, they're max, you know, they're head, they're bum hunting head to heads and they have a lineup for that. They're bum hunting like that. And they're just like, okay, got this and they're done. And you're like, you don't know, no idea who they, they made. Some of them may be in the head to head lobby. You may see, maybe they post and you may not, you may have seen their name and just like, yeah, they're always in the head to head lobby in the $5, $10 level. But like, I don't see their names in the GPP. I don't, I don't, yeah. you wouldn't know, you would notice if you played cash and you went through, you would notice a name or two or three that I, maybe I've talked to and you may not see them in the one Oh nines or even the fifties, but they got the tens and the fives and maybe some of the twenties. And then some of the three man, so, I mean, they're, they're around. And then I take, a, I take a look at, at their, you know, roto tracker or their, you know, they have their own typically in Excel. That's one person had, and then they're, they're like, yeah, yeah, I made, uh, yeah, it takes me about, uh, 10 minutes to do. And I made 32,000 last year. And yeah, any and this is someone that already has a regular job, like like that's not has right. no notions of like I'm gonna quit my job and do this. Like no, already makes you know 100k doing computer programming, whatever. And this is like his he likes his little toy programming yeah. stuff that he tweaks on, whatever. And he just kind of presses a button and makes money and just makes an extra thirty thousand yeah, that year. I just don't understand not wanting to get greedy at that point. Like if you're making thirty two thousand and you know that you're you're good at this, how do you not get the urge to play more? No, sometimes the, no. Uh, but the thing is, is that I'm I'm talking to someone that they tried this three years ago at the really lowest stakes, because mm -hmm. they don't know whether or not their shit is good. Right, right. I mean, so right. Nerdy Tanner said that he's like, I didn't want to, but I'm not yeah, going right. to move up he until I know. Yeah, right. So like. But I'm talking. I'm, I'm talking to some of these people, and then reading these poker books, and the whole "where does the money come from" concept. Going, yeah, I, 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 I should be focused on where the money comes from. You came into this show with the title already, didn't you? Yes. This is the first show ever that I'm like, you, you I know what the title is. Right. Well, I mean, I would have yeah. said it enough anyway that that's what the right, right. the title would have been. It was the title yeah. of the Thursday pregame show, but like that's really if if I am who I say I am, which is the, my goal is 50 to 75,000 on average and whatever. And like, I want the least amount of time, most amount of money, least amount of variance. Shouldn't that really be what I'm doing? Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Other than the fact that from a, a brand 
perspective, it's like, well, you're not gonna, I'm not gonna be showing that 100K screen, maybe in MMA, I may say. Like, like, and it also, it, this depends on sports. So it's like, it's not the type of thing where it's like, nope, I'm only doing this every time, all the time. Like, like, no, like, like MMA Saturdays, it's like, nope, I'm not even doing that in MMA. I'm doing this in MMA. And then maybe right. in NBA, I do, I'm playing this in MMA, or maybe in MLB because there's, le- you don't have to adjust as much. Maybe I do that, but I also like, I'll make five small field GPP lineups on top, like whatever my time is. But I think yep. I actively need to tell myself that my first priority should be where where does the money come from and find those exploits and double down on them. And then if I, once I get more, the most efficient in doing that, then I add the, the single entry GPP. Then I add the 50 lineups in the large field GP. Then I add another site. Then, mm-hmm. then I add like that instead of starting from the other end where it's like, well, I'm always going to play 50 lineups into the large field NBA contest. And then today I feel like doing these little exploit type of things and maybe make some a little, I'll do that for 500 bucks and I'll play a thousand dollars in GPP entries when it really should be the, it should be the reverse. It's just like, I should be putting a thousand dollars into those exploits and spending the time. And then if I have time left, the extra remaining volume, it's like, oh, let, let me make 10 large field GP plans or one small field GP and do it from that period where a lot of my time is going to be spent throughout the day finding the contests, right? Find like entering. It's like, okay, three, yeah. this three man, this five man, and then sorting out the lineups. Well, then are, are you going to get into overlay chasing too? As yeah. long as you're why, spending why, time. Yeah. Why, where does the, if, if we get down right. to brass tacks, where does the money come from? And if the sites are literally going to give you money. Yeah. Why aren't I taking, so I should, what I should be doing is also building a cash, an optimal lineup. So this is the lineup that I'm not going to be playing in the three mans and five mans is the lineup that's more, I'm more likely going to be exploiting in the three mans and five mans. And that lineup is used for one head to head against randos, right? So if I find a rando for 20 bucks, that's that lineup. I'm going to be using it for maybe the largest single entry double ups. The ones that may have the bottom, the bottom, fifteen percent, you know, lineups that aren't good, right? A two thousand single entry. Now I'm not talking about sixty-two mans. I'm talking about the larger ones. There may not be many. There may only be fifty bucks worth of them or a hundred bucks worth of them, and then use that lineup also for it's one minute before lock. It's thirty-two, thirty-one, and there's a three out of eleven double up that yeah. still hasn't filled, and I use that lineup in there, so it only fills eight out of eleven. And I got my I got my optimal in there, and there's overlay because there's three spots that aren't filled, or the le- or the late contests sometimes have more randos in them because people are reg- regging late. And I'd like, wouldn't that wouldn't that be more useful? What I I think I could get a thousand plus dollars of volume in two th- between both sites, so a thousand per site, or maybe depending on how soft one versus the other, maybe I could get. Two grand, twenty five hundred in volume, at a much higher ROI than GPP at, at, at on a day to day basis in GPP or even just strictly double ups and head to heads playing an optimal lineup. That like, dude, if I could, if I could have an ROI, I, I think I could eight to ten percent ROI, yeah. maybe, maybe if even if it's eight percent, I, I think that's reasonable on twenty five hundred. I mean, we're talking about an expected return per volume of $200 a day. Yeah. I mean, $200, you'd go $200 a day times, 
let's say even 300 days a year, we're talking about $60,000. And that's right in your range. That's what, and that's, that's right goal. in my... That's, You've done it. Right, and, and that's including 65 days that I've taken off playing. It's Why, great. like, from an intellectual standpoint, taking the ego, taking the emotion out of it, if that, if I can find that, and I think I can, like, other than it not being sexy... Takes, I mean, it takes the branding out of it for a guy who's selling the theory of DFS. But it is the theory of DFS. But the thing is, is that it is the. Th- I mean, I, I know well, it yeah, actually it actually is. It is. But it's also you don't have the the sexy screenshot, so it's gonna. Oh, maybe I'll but, get. But the thing is, is that like MMA, I'll get the sec. Maybe I maybe I win king of the true. pitch in soccer. I mean, I'll still play small field soccer GPPs. I'll still. I mean, I mean, it's not like I'm going away. Like I'm going away and. You're not going to see me in results DB in, in these large field contests or even maybe even the smaller field contests, but like, I'm not going away. I'm not going away. No, right. And you're, and you're also, you're, your name is out there. Your face is out there. People already kind of know who you are. So you probably don't need to do the, uh, the branding quite as much. It helps. I, I, I it was helps though. The, uh... Anytime I post a screenshot oh, like that, yeah. it, I 150 new followers and I, yep. and, and my PayPal notifications go like three, four, five. Oh, okay. Yeah. There I make a little extra, even though I want 30 grand. I like, okay, give me yep. an extra grand and people trying to buy my course or something like, yeah, of course that helps. But I mean, I've, I've always said like the majority of my income comes from playing. Right. Right. And, and you look at like, Oh, $41,811. Like, well, that, that isn't that much. It's like, yeah, but I, 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 I make on doing roto grinders. I make on doing theory. It, it comes right. out to it. I comes out to doing a decent okay. amount. I sell the course, yeah. which I don't have to do any extra work time efficiency wise. What the fuck do I have to do? I made the content already. I spent yeah. the 40, 60 hours on each of those things. Okay. And it's like, well, don't you, what, like, dude, do you see my, I, I, I pajamas and this is, this is the dream. So like, it's a great life. Exactly. Right. Yeah. We, we had, we had that conversation. Uh, I don't know if you participated at all in the conversation. Wiley posted on Twitter and he, he, I, oh yeah, he yeah. Back. He no, regretted it later, but he posted about, just, just, why just would anybody hi, be highlight for people that, that have, that, that have not, don't know what you're talking about. Okay. So, uh, Wiley, if you don't know Wiley, he's a great DFS player. Had him on high stakes. He was a guest on high stakes a month or two ago. Um, nice guy. He but hosts the Goplandia podcast. Yeah. He's the host of the Golflandia podcast. He's been, I think he's been thinking about getting into some other stuff. He's been a, he's a big rainmakers guy. Uh, anyway, he posted a, a tweet thread, uh, where he was clearly upset. And he, he said this later on that he had, you know, lost in rainmakers and in best ball that day. So he was upset, but he posted a thread saying something along the lines of this is the last breath for DFS touts. Uh, none of the best DFS players in the world are going to be telling you who they're playing. Um, and if they were that good, why would they? It's I don't know. I, I don't remember exactly what he said. And I saw it, and I, you know, I was like, he's he's. I don't think he's attacking me. I'm I'm pretty sure like we're friendly. Uh, so I'm not going to bother responding to this. And then somebody tagged me in the comments. Uh, said, what are you talking about? What about these guys? And so I, I just responded and said, it's a popular take uh, that is also clearly wrong because. For a lot of us, we're living the dream by talking about DFS. And it started a really good conversation. A lot of, uh, we had the, the whole Life EV uh, conversation again with some of us just enjoy having our bills paid for by talking about DFS. Like, yeah, we, I, I talking about that I no, Talking about DFS while still being a winning player. Right. Right. That, yeah. that, I think that's the, I think he's more, more looking at that second point, which I, I would agree with. I would, I mean, like, like, 
just like in po- in poker, like I, I, I've been watching videos and everything like that. And like the number one thing is that don't take don't take poker advice from someone that's not a winning poker player. Right. Like and it's, and, it's good and, advice. Right. So like what like like what what could they possibly tell? And like if they're losing with that strategy, then what are you going to learn from them? They're 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 not a good they're not a winning poker player. And also the second point, even with the poker stuff, is that. Why can Phil Galfond make, he's a poker player, make videos teaching you how to play? If you go on YouTube, dude, you could become an extremely good poker player just on YouTube. I mean, just by watching YouTube videos. I mean, it's, it's, and there's so much material. It's almost, it's almost ridiculous that I, th- I think that if you're good at DFS and you understand the, men- the, the, if you understand what's in the theory of daily fantasy sports, the course, if you understand the concepts and you understand all of that, if you're building, if you're building stuff in Python or anything, dude, dude, you could go to any, pretty much any casino card room. I mean, you could, like the players, the players are bad, and yeah. they think that some of the. And the thing is, is that the better players there are are actually making money. Why? Because they're better than the worst players there. So it's all just a relative. It's just all a relative skill difference. And I think that just the materials that within three months you could start from nothing. You could start from barely knowing what hand beats what and in three months be probably a favorite in the lowest stakes game that you have in your card room and then by the end of the year be one of the best players in the entire room like like it's like as long as you put the study in and you put the study into practice there's a nut there's the material is out there so you you go well why are they putting them then we get back to the wiley thing so why are they putting the material out there if it's making players better whatever like that it comes back to two different things that i say often okay that phil galfond doesn't have to worry about the two five players in my game getting better right he's not playing these the lowest state he's not he doesn't give a fuck i mean and he can make money off. How is he making money off of two five and five ten no limit players or one two no limit players or P or low stakes PLO players or micro stakes online players? He he doesn't have to play against them. He just has to sell a thousand dollar course. That because he beats the fucking highest stakes shit. He you know right. the million dollar heads up challenge. I mean, like he's one of the best players in the world. He's playing against those people, right? Yeah. And those people. Whatever he's telling you in the video, they all know that already. Like right. there's like like they're, they're it's like no, he's not giving away any secrets to be yeah. the highest stake stuff. But all the stuff that I'm telling you, like the the eight nine players at your table don't aren't doing. They don't know they, or they know and they can't do well. They know they do well sometimes, but most of the time they end up going on tilt. Or right. they know they know and uh, don't care. They know it's a bad play, but they're going to do it anyway. Or for the most part, more than half the table don't know those concepts. They think of other, they think they know some concept, but they're wrong and they just never get better. And they just net, they they don't even, they're not watching YouTube. They're not watching. Same thing for DFS. Yeah. Right. Same. And then you have the people that are like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to get a little bit better at poker. Yeah. I play once a week or something and yeah, I'm going to, Oh, Phil Galfon is. I saw him on Card Player Magazine, and I saw what I don't have to bluff. Ma- I don't know what magazines are. This is from like 15 years ago. Who knows? Who knows if the magazines even exist? They typically give them out free at the card room. Uh, and they go, uh, "Yeah, he has a YouTube channel. Let me let me watch some videos." 
and they've they've not read like any like real poker books. So like that they're they have this preconceived notion of what poker is, and then they watch and they go, okay, uh, it's gonna be a poker versus solver video from Phil Galfon, and he goes through a hand and he goes. And he talks about you know this range versus that range and what and the, and it like it just goes it's like you you look you think you're taking this in you go yeah that makes sense but you really have not you've not learned the baseline concepts to understand you see you still see things in black and white on like yeah but it's but it's kings why don't you bet there well is it you don't understand and so you so you you ninety five percent of people watch the video. They either don't understand what's going on, they think they understand, but don't really, or they try to understand and they implement it wrong at right. the table anyway. And he made, he made, uh, obviously YouTube's free, but he has a training site and he's part of investments and what, like, this is part of his brand and he makes money off of this, but at, for these level of players. And he knows that 95% will watch and not do and, Right. And all the stuff he's talking about, the players he's playing against already know. So, like, what edge is being given away? Right. Uh, would, would you agree that uh, poker is a lot more exhausting to remain good at than DFS? Because, I mean, you, I hear what you're saying that, like, yeah, you could be, you could get good at poker really quickly. I feel like in poker, it's such a mind game that regardless of how good you are, you have to be so engaged at all times when you're playing poker that it's, uh, to me, it seems like it would be so much more exhausting to make your money playing poker than DFS. Would, would you agree with that? Uh, to some extent. It depends on the game. There's some more mentally intense games than others. Mm -hmm. You also, But the EV spots are much higher. Like the EV spots are like, let's, 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 let's put it, put a side by side comparison. I feel like I'm teaching you, Neil, because you're you're not you never were a serious play poker, poker player. Yeah. Uh, in a head to head, let's say me me and you were playing a head to head, okay? In DFS, we're playing NFL head to head this past week, right? And I build the lineup against you, and you build a lineup that's a two v two off of me. So mm -hmm. you know you played the McCaffrey Engram build, and I played a Kelsey. Etienne build or Kelsey Algier build or something like that. If we played against each other, like we both lose because my, my even if my lineup is slightly better than your lineup, there's a 10% rake or 11% rake or 9% right. rake or whatever. Like it's not even worth it to play against, right? Now, yep. if you were to play a lineup that was three points lower projected median wise to mine, it's still not worth it for me to play, right? Because I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat the, I'm probably still not beating the Ray. Your lineup to my lineup is like, I'm a 53% favorite here, right? And then now you're playing a lineup that's five points lower projected than mine. Assuming that projections are accurate, obviously, like whatever. Yeah. Okay, now I'm a 58% favorite over you. Okay, now I'm slightly profitable over you. Now you're playing a lineup that is 10 points lower projected than me. Like people look at that lineup, would look at that lineup in DFS and go, Wow, this guy sucks, right? Yeah. 10 points, but not suck, suck, but suck enough. That's yeah. like, I want to play head-to-heads. It's like, do you realize you're only like maybe a 65% favorite? I mean, like like that lineup still has like a, 30, a, th a third of the time that lineup will beat you, right? Based on the range of outcomes of these players. Like you're not, you're not, 
This is not a, now obviously if you could always find 65%, 35% spots in DFS, you'd 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 be raking in the money, right? That type sure. of stuff. And now let's say you're playing a lineup that's 40 points lower projected than mine. Like I'm now like a 85%, 90% favored over you. Uh you don't find many players in DFS that you could have that. Yeah. Uh in poker, let's say me and you play poker. It's quite possible that it is if we played heads up that if you could be bad enough and still not be horrible that if we if we played a freeze out meaning that like we play until someone has all the chips mm-hmm. right and we played like $500 a piece and we're playing whatever one two no limit for a thousand or something like that you could be bad enough that I could be a 95% favorite to get all your chips even if you're not that bad. Even if like you're not that ba- bad. You're not just just like, I don't know what hand beats what. What the hell? Like, right, right. You could, like, I could be that big of a favorite over you. And the 5% is basically the, the variance and how aggressive you are and whether or not you suck out on me or I suck out on you right. or something like that. But there are ways that you could play badly, that you could play way loose and way too passive, that I could, and, and overfold that I could be like like such a 95 plus percent. Like I'm going to get all, I'm not in one hand. It's going to be just over the course of time, right? But yeah. like you could be in that those spots. There are spots at the poker table where where someone is literally giving you all their money with no equity. Like literally like it's, it's, the, it's the turn and they're blasting into you for all their chips with 0% equity. Not without it. And they don't even think it's a bluff. They just go, I think I got the best hand and I shove without any outs on the river and I have a better hand and it's not a cooler and it's not a set over set. It's not a cooler situation where I don't blame the guy for thinking that, but you get into those situations and at, at mm. poker that literally they're giving they're they are, they, it's like looking at a lineup, Neil, in that spot, imagine building a, facing a head to head person and going, uh, you build your optimal lineup and they and they forget to reserve for contest, right? They forget to set it like they play all injured players. Yeah, like that's how much equity, like that in that spot in poker is. It's just free money. It's it's free money. You just have to get in. You just have to find a way to get into those spots and find the yeah. right people that will get into those spots. So like that. Hence why if you come from the poker mentality, I'm like, how do I how do I view that in the DFS context? And where can I find those spots? Now you're not going to find the hundred zero. You're not going to find that. But when you say with the getting back to the mental energy, it's like, is the mental energy you're using worth getting into those spots? It could be absurdly profitable to get in those spots. And then you could also have behaviors and things that you do to keep you in a more focused mentality such as like I typically wear a small headphones at the table. They're on low and I listen to podcasts. I just assume you're going to say cocaine, but yeah, right. I guess no, no, podcasts no, work too. No, but it's, it's to me, it's to keep me from getting bored. Mm-hmm. Right. And when I'm bored, I may are more inclined to play an extra hand. I shouldn't or get involved when it may, there may be a better spot or something like that. So it's just like, I'm listening to something that I'm enjoying listening to and I could fold hand after hand if I wanted to. And and then I also talk at the table. Not a lot, but like I'm, because fr- you should always want live. Too few people don't. 
I make yeah. little quips, little jokes. Then someone mentions the football game. They're oh, this other day, this guy was like, oh, I, I'm I have I, I have so and I have Ceedee Lamb in my fantasy football final. They don't know me from a hole in the wall. And I go, I go, oh, who do you got? Are you like I can talk, fa- I can talk fantasy football yeah. at the table, <laughs> right? Hello, uh-huh. <laughs> I mean that that's no problem. And I spent four hours essentially talking. Season long, his team is his league, and where did he draft? And we, and he, and he actually was smart. So like, he actually knows most of the concepts that. And he's okay. like, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got he, he, he's on under. He does best ball on underdog. And it's like, dude, that's four hours of conversation to keep me, like, entertained while I'm still watching. Like, I'm still watching. Oh, this guy. Oh, he showed down that. Okay. Like, and then what? Once you play so many poker hands, and I played 70 hours, 50, 70 hours a week for like four years, like you only have to find little certain, like you could find, oh, you find out one piece of information, you could profile like four other informa- pieces of information about a player. So you're just looking at showdowns and you're just going, okay, bet there, whatever. Or this is int- like, like you don't have to like just stare and go, what does he have? What does he think he has? What is like it's, it, it, it doesn't have, in the beginning, it may have to be like that because you're not used to doing it. But once you're used to doing that for 30 hands an hour, for 12 hours a day, for six days a week, I mean, like, it just becomes like, you know when you should be paying attention, when you shouldn't be paying attention. And unless you're like, you're, most of the time you're not playing every hand. So like, you're just right. sitting there listening or talking and just watching three other people play out a hand. Then you go, okay, that was interesting. He bet with a seven there. Okay. That was questionable, right? And you go, what types of people bet with a seven there? Okay, he probably, he probably, that raise there probably didn't mean anything. Like, like, yeah. And then, then oh. you, then, so to me, it's not, it's not, it, time wise, you have to be at the table. I mean, you have to be there. There's no, like, like, there's no, I'm going to upload my CSV to the poker table. Like, this, that doesn't exist. But the spots that do exist are such higher EV that, that's why people like I'm gonna play six to eight hours and playing a good game and you probably so have do, more do you, of an edge. Do you recognize more of an edge there than in DFS? Do you recognize the players that you're playing against now in, in Kentucky and the do you, do you play at a casino? That's like the only yeah, place it, you can play in Minnesota. Yeah, it's a, it's over the Louisville in uh, New Albany, Indiana. They have the and, Caesars. And do, do you recognize the players? Like when you walk into a room, do you see a few players that you recognize right away? Or I've I've, I've played I've played since I played four times in the past two weeks. Okay. Before the last time that I played there was, I think I may have went once like six years ago. And then before that was when I first moved here, like 15 years ago. I think I've seen a a poker equivalent of a screenshot for each one of those times that you've played recently. No, it's called chip porn. Chip, chip porn. Yeah. Chip porn. Okay. Right. No, I'm only, only because most of, most of my, most of my timeline is DFS people, right. That follow me. But a lot of people are poker people also. And, Uh, a lot of overlap. A lot of overlap. And why not to to just show that, like, oh, I'm getting back into poker. And, like, isn't this yeah. cool? Like, oh, this game is easy. A little, you know, chip porn type of thing. I, it, it, like, for If you're a regular poker player, probably chip porn is, like, why the fuck are you doing that type of thing? But it's not <laughs> like, like my... Just like DFS. A lot of right, just like, exactly, no, no just, exactly. Just like DFS. So, you know, fuck around with that a little. But also from the fact that... Uh, because there's so much overlap and also people from poker that also dabble in DFS is that you build up enough of an audience. I like, I like the fact that if I'm going to get back into po- playing poker seriously, and it doesn't mean seriously, I'm traveling the world and seriously, meaning I want to be the best player in that card room. And that's, and yeah. that's, and that's, and that's my goal. Like, dude, I I've already, I've already talked to like 
two or three people that are like a million times better than me. Like that play at much higher stakes than me, either online or live that play DFS and they want to get better at t- Like they want to, Hey, they don't talk. They, they don't have people to talk DFS with. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, like I'll reach out and go, Hey, I don't mind. Take, let's spend, let's spend an hour talking, you know, half an hour on me, half an hour on you. Here's some stuff that I need help with. And you're okay, blah, 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 blah. And then what do you need? Like, and I'm like, without an, if I didn't have an audience in DFS, it's like, it does, to me, it's a great opportunity to be like, here's a hand I went through. This is what I thought. Am I an idiot? Right? Like, like just like simply that. And I'm yeah. speaking to a lot of people like, you know, like, like, like nerdy tenor, like at levels where they're playing, you know, they're playing on, they're playing online, Five ten no limit online, which is tough as fuck, and they're making money, and they're like, oh yeah, I've been playing uh, for 10, 15 years. It's like, why the fuck? Why the fuck not? Like, you use that as 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 an as an advantage. So like like, to me, if it still comes down to where the money comes from, not to go back to the to the the title, my my preconceived title, like how. If I'm thinking like that in playing poker seriously, why can't I think like that? Play, and why, why can't, why, why shouldn't I? And yeah. some, sometimes the answer is, well, all the dead money is in large field GPP. So I'm just going to blast off there. Right. Like, and if you want to make the most amount of money and you don't mind the ridiculous swings, like to, to you, that could be the end. You could go, where does the money come from? All the bad players in large field GPP. Okay. Then focus your time first on where the money comes from. And if you don't want to like separate your play into all of this, then then fuck it. You don't, most people don't. I mean, most of the right. top players don't. So it's like, do you want a six percent earn, or do you want a six point four percent earn? Like that. That would be the equivalent to them. And they go, well, the extra point four percent equals X amount of raw money, which is X amount per hour, and eh, ain't worth ain't worth the work. For right. my level, for the mid stakes level, for the make fifty to seventy five thousand all level. I think, I think that's absolutely, I'm not going from six to 6.4%. I'm going from, do I want to make six, I 6.94% ROI what I'm doing or possibly like 10% ROI without, without as much variance for 6%. Like it almost, it almost feels like a no brainer. It's like mathematically you would go, why, why, why wouldn't you a higher ROI with a lower yeah lower variance like why wouldn't you it's like well i still think i'm a favorite in the game those games it's like well shouldn't you be focusing on it's very similar neil to to, to, to wrap it up it's very similar to poker that uh so a lot of people a lot of a lot of a lot of fishy people fishy live at least like plo pot limit omaha mm-hmm. it's a game you get four cards and you can only play. It's an action game. There's tons of draws uh, because it seems to most that you could play like any four cards. So a lot of the, like the fishiest people that like the action, the 56 year old business person, retiree uh, tractor company is like, dude, I love PLO. I get to play like half my hands or whatever. And anything there's a draw. I got a draw to everything. Like, oh, I got that. I got this. Like, like those games could be really profitable. And the thing is, is that like, well, do I sit, I go to a card room and I see, see a couple of games going on. I see here's a one, two 
game. Here's another one, two game. Here's the two, five game. Here's a two, five pot limit Omaha game. Here's a four, eight limit game, which is probably, I can't make enough money. That's worth it for me to sit there. And I go, what table should I sit? What, what's my, what's my normal game? Well, my normal game to sit in two, five, no limit thousand max. It's playing five handed. Now I look at the table and it's like, oh, it's, it's people that I recognize, but it's my normal game. And I think I'm a favorite. I think I could sit down and I'm better than these five people, but they're not like horrible players. Then I look at the Potlum and Omaha game and Potlum and Omaha is not my best game. But I look and it's playing seven-handed with one seat available and it's like the, the the seven worst players in the fucking card room. It's not my best game, but that's 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 where the money is. Or I look at the PLO game and it's like, it's only two kind of fishy players and a lot of strong players and it's not my best game. And I go... Maybe I could siphon enough off of these two other guys, but I'm the kind of little little timid to mess with these people. And the two five game I look at, and it's like it's still five strong players. And maybe I sit down at a one. Maybe I sit down at a lower stakes game, and I look at the lower stakes game, and it's like, well, this I could run over this game, even though it's for less money. But it's like, okay, I could, I'll just sit here and run over, and then keep my eye out and see if anyone, you know, the, the makeup of both games are like. That's what you do in, like, uh, what I'm describing is what you do in poker if you're a professional player. That's what you do at poker. Hmm. So shouldn't, if you're a professional DFS player, isn't that what you should be doing in DFS? Absolutely. You're comfortable playing large field, and it's like, well, that's, I'm just going to sit down with that, what the normal, it's Joe, Plummer, and it's the normal people, because that's what I'm comfortable with. And it's like, why don't I learn a new game, Right. And I see that's where the money is, right? They go, oh, well, I, I've never played Pot Limit Omaha, but it seems like that's where all the bad players are. Let me study some Pot Limit Omaha. Let... Yeah, but aren't the people in the, the No Limit game going to look at you and be like, well, are you not? Are you, are you bad at it? Or like that? that's kind of some of the, like the branding type of thing of like, well, you, you, why are you not playing the game you normally play? It's like, well, where does the money come from? Yeah. It's there. Focus on the money. Focus on the money. Anything else? Uh, no, I think that we have. I mean, best ball final is going on right now. Is Pat Corrine going to win? Last night. Uh, I'd say he is the favorite with probably a 30% chance of winning. I think that there are a number of lineups behind him that have a chance to win. Does also. he have anyone going in this? The he's got nobody going. So he's he's in probably the least enviable spot in that he's just hoping for unders. <laughs> like right. I, I, I feel bad for him from that standpoint. What, 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 um, games, to, what games tonight? It's Bills-Bengals. So it could be a very high-scoring game. Certainly a lot of players. T. Higgins is in, I think, 120 of the 470 lineups in the BBM three finals. So if he has a big game, that's going to be uh, trouble. Uh, there's there's a lineup that needs 20 points out of Dawson Knox to pass him. Uh, there, there are a lot of ways for it to go south right. for him, um, but I'd still call him the favorite. I think just of the lineups I've looked at, he's probably got. Were, th- were there any even? Odds. Were there any Mike Evans lineups left that mattered? There were, I, I believe, 10 or 12 Mike Evans lineups in the 470. Uh, but yeah, so far. I don't think I, I don't remember if there are any of them that are among the lineups that are chasing him. I was surprised he actually has a buck stack that I don't believe has Mike Evans in it, which was pretty surprising. Yeah, um, but I mean, it, it, from a best ball perspective, Mike Evans was so bad this year that you probably didn't advance to this point. That's that's the main well, exactly, reason that yeah. Mike Evans could go off and be like, well, how many people at this point have him? Like they probably yeah. sucked before, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so. you could even say the same about McCaffrey teams. Right, there were a lot of weeks that McCaffrey. I mean, but yeah, but there were some. I mean, not as many as they could have been. Right? 
Sure, but he was like he didn't really get hurt this year. I don't remember him being out more than one or two games. And relative to the other players, like Jonathan Taylor was a huge letdown. I'm trying to think of Jamar Chase missed several weeks, was not that great. So like relative to the other players at the top, he was, I think, one of the higher advance rate players. Uh, Justin Jefferson obviously crushed it. And then I think also did really well throughout the playoffs until week 17. So that was pretty nice people that didn't have him. Um, but yeah, I think Christian McCaffrey was still on. A number of teams, and also there were a number of teams in the finals that had no quarterback going. Yeah, I that, I was supposed to about that. It actually ended up only being like twelve or thirteen that had no quarterback. Uh, I thought Trevor Lawrence was going to miss, and then of course he played like half the game, so it was like thirty three if you include Trevor Lawrence, I believe. Um, I was so I I had two teams in the final, as you've probably seen on Twitter. I've, I've been talking about it a little bit. I was excited about it. I also had my teams are very thin. Like I had one team had Josh Jacobs, Delvin Cook, no other running backs, uh, and my. I was getting very hopeful because there were so many rumors about like this player might miss or why did they call up, you know, why did the Browns call up running back? Maybe Nick Chubb will miss. And I thought, man, if all these guys don't play, then I'm going to have a better shot because I, you know, these are players that are not on my teams. And then, of course, all of those players, for the most part, ended up playing. So didn't really benefit from absences. And uh, yeah, I'm not I don't have any players left. I'm, my, my lineups are good and dead. I have one that is in the top 200 right now. Could hold on, but probably not. So what did we learn from the best ball season? It seems like the the thing was that uh, nothing matters in play and, and uh, draft whoever you want. Honestly, uh, so, so <laughs> I I wouldn't go I wouldn't go that far, but uh, you know people talk. But that's what it said. That you have to think that's what it seems like. It's like just, it does. Just I look random chance. I'm like <laughs> there are so many bad lineups in the BBM three final. Like I because I, I, I was looking through it, and I'm like, oh, this lineup, you know, this lineup has uh, Josh Allen, and then I look through it, and I'm like, and no pass catchers from the bills that are like this lineup has joe burrow no bengals pat like none of these lineups have a shot to win because they're just completely uncorrelated uh you know all offseason people talking about oh you got to correlate for week 17 and and of course pat corain's lineup actually is very nicely correlated for week 17 but it's one of one of the rare ones i would say in the finals so uh i mean i i'm still going to be building correlating my quarterbacks and, and receiving options uh but didn't really focus on week 17 uh, this past year, and I don't think I'm going to change that. I, I don't really know what the takeaway is, but a lot of completely uncorrelated lineups in the finals, which was kind of surprising to me. I, I, I'm going to ask, uh, since once once BBM or whatever, whatever, it's all, all the craze is over and all the screenshots are done. It's all screenshots and my fit. The underdog screenshots and the DraftKings yep. screen. I, I I feel like like the other like people that don't play DFS that follow me or something. Like what the fuck is all of this shit? Yeah. Uh, I'll try to get uh, Eric back on the show yeah. as a guest. You know, maybe make an appearance and talk. Uh, you know, best ball stuff like over the course of the season and also just uh, obviously, you know, he was on the show for so long. Why not? Now maybe his maybe his time that if Spike Week. Is uh yeah now that is not yet best. I've been watching too much Eric Bime for content recently. I've watched you know not not always live either. I'll catch them later. Just want to hear what they're saying about the slates. Just and it's not even like you can't change any of it. I'm just I'm just listening to them talking about like what's in it. What do you want here? And it's like there's nothing I can do about it. Why? Right? There's nothing you can do. What's the point? That's that's the thing that I never understood. There's nothing I could do. Like if you're like oh there's there after week one there's a week two on best ball there's a week three yeah. on baseball the week four or nba there's a week on like then there's something that could do other than that all it is is just like hanging out and saying this lineup has a what like figuring out the paths of victory some people enjoy that i get it i mean that's perfectly fine yeah. but I, outside I mean, of that I, I there's do. not 
doesn't what yeah. you can't do anything. Yeah, I mean, they still talk a little bit about you know some strategy like for for going forward, future years. What have we learned, you know, about correlations and stuff? So you, there is stuff to learn there. But yeah, for the most part, it's just people like me who my lineups aren't dead yet. I kind of want to hear what they're saying. Like, am I thinking about this the same way they are? Like, this, these are the players that I'm most excited about. Um, yeah, but it, it's really just you know you're you're watching. So are, are you going to be are you going to be profitable in best ball? Oh yeah. I, so I made two teams into the finals. Uh, I think one of them is probably going to get knocked out of the top, uh, two, 200. So it'll still be, I'll make 2,500 on one lineup, maybe 1500 on the other. And then I had 41 teams that made it to the second round, nine teams that made it to the third round. So those are all like, I made some money. I'll probably make out couple thousand bucks overall in best ball so a lot of investment to make two thousand bucks but hey better than all my dfs this year (laughs) (laughs) from a percentage what would that be uh it's it's a good roi so i I actually didn't play a ton of volume i played uh i think three thousand seven hundred fifty in the bbm3 and then i played one like maybe 200 maybe 500 contest on uh, underdog. And then on DraftKings, I played very, very, I only had 33 total lineups, most of them in the $5, uh, millimaker. And then I had one five fifty five. So I don't even know how much I put into it. I'll probably, you know, it's probably turning 5,000 into 7,000, something like that overall. Okay. So that's not, that's not, that's what 40, well, that's 40%. Yeah. Sounds right. Yep. Yeah, 40%, which ain't bad. Uh, other than the bad. raw money is if you, the amount of time that you spend, you'd be like, up. I mean, this year it's also good to have your money tied up. You're not losing it. I'm not losing it on my NFTs this year, so it's good to have my money tied up. <laughs> you put in a money market account, getting 3.2% interest. Yeah, make put that. it on that. Right. So was it worth all the time? Would, would you, but next year for NFL best ball, would you play more volume? I think I will. I, I really enjoyed, uh, maybe it's just because I, you know, recency bias because I made the finals this year. The past two years, I played some and didn't make, I played 150 lineups last year, did not make the finals. Um, I think that I will play, and I think I'm actually going to play some higher stakes best ball probably because those do seem, you know, much, much easier to win, obviously. And uh, both of both of my, uh, actually my, my underdog one kind of fell apart, but my DraftKings 555 had a shot until the final week. Like I think it's, you know, the, the players aren't all that much better in the high stakes and probably a little bit more fun. Probably where does the money come from? The, the one, the two or three people in that contest that don't know what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. So you're probably still playing against really good drafters. I will say in general, uh, like BBM three, they're even worse. Like there, there are just so many people who have no idea what they're doing in best ball. I actually think that it is more uh, plus EV than DFS is. Other than the fact that you're basically playing one slate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're playing. Yeah, right. Right. That's. I mean, when you draws down to it, it feels like wow, all that work for one slate. Yeah, that is. That's a good point. But and, and if but you in don't terms mind of the, the competition, right? Like the tying the money up type of thing is like if it's only devoting five percent of your bankroll, like who get then fine, tie that money yeah. up, right? If it's right. a lot of part, like fifty percent of your bankroll, probably not. Right. So like me, even though I'll say that, it also is. How much work am I going to put in for X? It's all about how much you enjoy it too. Yeah. Right. If you're not enjoying it, what's the point? Yeah. If you're not enjoying it, what's the point? That could have been, that could have been, that could yeah. have been the, the title. Neil at player Q DFS on Twitter. Who's next on the high stakes podcast? I don't have anybody lined up yet. Good, good question. Okay. But it's not Adam. It's not Adam. Adam right. says he won't come on. <laughs> still amazes me won't come in why won't is is it just going to be a bit now it's gotten to the point where it's just a bit 
it, it might be to some yeah I, I don't know i did get uh, actually in response to that probably the greatest compliment i've gotten about high stakes which was uh after Adam said he wouldn't come on and I said Petty came on he said yeah that's the episode that's the reason I'm not going to come on because I watched that episode uh log lost the guy who who went on uh Brick's podcast and said we shouldn't do those types of shows uh said that that podcast shouldn't exist it's a trap I was like that's a great compliment for my podcast right right when someone when someone when someone good that plays says I wish that podcast didn't exist like I mean that's you're probably doing good work right don't listen to my episodes you're not going to learn anything <laughs> now great episodes of course as always get the theory of daily fantasy sports 15 hour audio dfs masterclass, as well as the 10 chapter advanced course with the excel tools at theoryofdfs.com